welcome to the Queer Arabs podcast. This is Alia. This is Nadia. And this is Ellie. Hi, I'm Noral Daya. Thank you so much for being here. And you're in Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to share with the listeners, like, anything you want about your background, um, what you're involved in at the moment, what exhibit <laughs> might be happening? <laughs> as a, just, just as a hypothetical. Just a neither here nor there thing that could possibly be occurring. <laughs> no, yeah, I'd love to. Um, well, yes, okay, yeah. My name is Noor. Um, I was, I'm, I'm currently 21 years old, going on 22 May 1st, so we're getting there. Born and raised in Torrance, California. It's a suburb of Los Angeles, and um, I currently am a senior honors student at Emory University in Atlanta, where I made um, an exhibit as <laughs> my senior honors project um, focused specifically around queer Middle Eastern and North African women and gender nonconforming individuals. Um, it's called Hayati, um, and I subtitled it My Life, My Love, and then a third title, A Queer Middle Eastern and North African Archive. And yeah, basically, I'm sure I'll expand on it more, but you know, I was born and raised in a pretty uh, white town, not a lot of Arabs around me. And when I got to college, I knew that my parents were like weirdly chill, even though they were immigrant parents, they were weirdly chill about me major film. Like they were like, okay. Um, and I was like, I was like, good on you for being chill about this one thing. Like <laughs> that's rare one that I'll take. Like, Are they like such... in, into film? Do they really like watching film? Is that why? Particularly like, I mean, we grew up like watching films together for sure like we definitely found a lot of enjoyment as a family in watching films but we weren't like super emphasis on it I think they were just like both of my parents they they were both immigrants and they were both like um kind of wanted to break the chain of like forcing uh, their kids into becoming like a doctor or a lawyer that kind of thing which was yeah. like slit <laughs> but yeah so yeah. nice I came to every like yeah, like knowing I would do film and media, and then um, started like trying to integrate like Middle Eastern studies with film because I I recognized when I was here um, that like Arab representation wasn't really talked about like at all. I like the first time it got brought up explicitly in a class I was in um, was my junior year, and I thought that was like pretty fascinating. So that's kind of what like sparked my thesis. Um, idea and then I made it queer you know because of course so but yeah so that's a yeah. very general overview of where I'm at, how I ended up here so now we're that's graduating awesome. in a month this is up and, so yeah. yeah so when you were starting the thesis though were you like afraid that like the, the queer um, part of it was going to be like a little too much like what was your thoughts at the time yeah oh my god no yeah I can totally tell you guys like the birth of Hayati was really fascinating and fun I think but Basically, like, I knew as of junior year that I wanted to do an honors project involving Middle Eastern women and photography. So, like, I knew that. Um, but I didn't have, like, a more specific idea yet. So I just went in being, like, okay. Like, I had learned about, like, Orientalist photography, like, 19th century Orientalist photography. And I was, like, okay, like, hate, you know? Like, I would definitely want to subvert that. Slay. Um, <laughs> Um, but I didn't know that I wanted it to be queer yet. I was also just wary about entering that realm in general because I wanted to make sure I was doing our people justice and not exploiting us in front of the camera, which is like something we've suffered from a lot historically. So 
I, I hadn't thought of the queer element yet. And I basically, it was like two weeks out of the proposal being due. And I was doing a, a separate idea about like Middle Eastern women and our bodies and form. Um, and I was like very fascinated and exploring like how our bodies have looked like. And then on a completely unrelated note, I was just feeling a little bit alone as a queer Arab because when I came to Emory, I, I finally found a lot more Arabs than I had ever been around. Cause in Torrance, I knew like six, <laughs> like if that, like it was really rough out there. Um, but you know, I got to Emory and it was like, oh, there's actually like more of me like slay. But even while I did have more community here, a lot of it were like, not a lot, but you know, a good amount of people were conservative or um, like if they were a part of the community, I, none of them were queer and out. Um, and so I, I was feeling very like, even though I felt finally not alone in my Arabdom, I felt very alone in my queer Arabdom. I was like, yeah, like, you know, okay, like here I am and that's okay. So as I was working on this proposal about like Middle Eastern women and our bodies, I was just Googling like for my own sake, like queer Arab support groups or like queer Arab resources. That's when I actually found you guys. <laughs> like that's fully when I found the queer Arab podcast. Yeah. And I was like. You know, and you guys had your, your like, we exist. And I was like, oh, my God, we do. Like, slay. And, you know, I would, like, listen to whatever the first couple of episodes. I forgot what they were at the time. It was a while ago. But I listened to, like, three episodes in a row or something. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, there's people like me out there. And, um, I, like, as I was doing that Googling, though, I was, I recognized that there was not a lot of art projects out there. Um, and specifically, I started to Google for, like, queer Arab women in GNC um, because I was like somewhat finding projects on queer Arabs, but they were like largely male centered. Like they'd be about gay men or they'd be about drag queens. And I was very happy to see any art out there. Like, I don't want to say this as if those were bad things. Like that was so amazing, but I was, I was still not seeing myself when I was looking, you know, like I was like, where where's me <laughs> like you know and that's why i love the queer podcast because that i was probably one of the few places that i i could find like actual people of that identity but i basically realized i couldn't find a dedicated project to this identity at least that was easily accessible and that's another part of this that i think is important is accessibility to queer resources um and i, I talk about that a lot in the written form of my thesis it was something that i really focused on but yeah so in my like okay, I'm going to do something about queer women in photography. I just felt like on my own accord, just a little bit lonely. And so I just started Googling for support groups. And then that's when I was like, oh, not only is there like not that many support groups, because the support groups I found seemed so slay, but they met in person in New York and San Francisco. Of and I course. was in Atlanta. Like, you know what course. I mean? Like, no, yeah. And I, I was like, slay, but I'm very much not in those places. <laughs> like you know and now I know now I know we're all there so like yeah. I'm gonna make my trips and stuff but you know at the time that wasn't something I could do I couldn't like book a flight to New York to go to like a queer Arab support group so I was just kind of like okay I think I can maybe change this thesis idea and make it this thing that I'm looking for because why not like I, I I definitely like was dealing with this imposter syndrome and this like am I qualified like can I do this how will I do this like how the fuck sorry am I can I curse in this yeah this, this okay, always yeah. comes up yeah, I know like, oh, and it, it happens every episode and I hear it happen every episode and then I still ask that's no so we funny. decided you have um if you curse once you have to do it five times 
Yeah, got, so you got, have got, you got, have to do it four more times. Okay, in good. Context, awesome. it doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Okay. Now you yeah. can't be like thinking about it. <laughs> no, that's so embarrassing. But yeah, I I I basically like throughout all of that was um was dealing with a little bit of imposter syndrome. Was sort of like, how the fuck am I gonna find people if I do do this? Um, will they agree? Like, who will be <laughs> okay with me? Just this random person like photographing them, but. I kind of like dispelled all of those at the time and just decided like, you know what, this is worth pursuing as my subject. Um, and like, I'm going to do it. So yeah, I, it was definitely like a really, I had to think about it a lot to add that queer element in. Cause it was something that like all the way up until right before the proposal was due was something I wasn't really thinking about as a possibility. And it wasn't even on purpose. I just like, was just like, yeah, no, I'm not. Um, but then, yeah, I found this like, lack or like this like there's just like this need for like a hole to be filled and I was just like all right I'll attempt <laughs> I'll attempt to like be a part of that so yeah I just changed my proposal in that like last two weeks rewrote the whole thing and turned in Hayati as a proposal instead so it was a very like conscious decision that I made like two weeks before my proposal was due to make it queer I was like that's that's <laughs> impressive that's impressive but did yeah, you get you had to like reform it so much in two weeks did you get any pushback on it from uh from whoever you submitted from that's sorry a i'm not great question no no that's like i actually didn't um i i was nervous that i would and i actually like went to one of my photography professors my mentor at the time before i turned in the proposal i was like hey i think i'm gonna change in, like my idea and i want it to be this like do you think this would be a problem um because it deals with so many like marginalizations like you know like do you think that they're not going to take this project or like will people will there be pushback I asked him and he was basically like I don't think so and if there is then like fuck them and I was like okay so like I, I like I, this I like this guy <laughs> no he's cool shout out Joel shout out Jason my photography professors they were they were really like super gung-ho on me doing it and I think that was like probably what made me take the leap I was like if my photo professors think that this is worth it and this is going to be a photo project then I think it's worth it and yeah I was nervous that there might be pushback but ultimately they accepted the proposal and I didn't hear anything outside of like you're in so I was like rock on let's go like <laughs> I love no, it not... right, go ahead. oh and I I just love that it's like um I don't know it's at a place where not only like queer Arabs are going to see it. it's going to be like anyone walking through will be exposed to this and be like oh they exist that's Which the goal cool yeah i was like everyone needs to know not just us like yeah everybody but uh we've also run into the problems in the past with people submitting photos like some people do not want their photos associated with the words yeah. queer and arab and yeah. even though we've had them on the podcast or even on the arab side of podcast they're like no no photos yeah. So we've always we've always been cool with that because we were like, yeah, that's we totally understand. But um, well, yeah, of course. Um, I mean, and, yeah, but it's not our medium. Really cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I was going to ask specifically as a photographer, like you were talking about what you don't want to do, like Orientalist photography, objectifying people, exotifying people. Mm -hmm. um, but then, like in terms of what you do want to do. Um, what are some ways that uh, you can use photography to show people how they want to be shown? And like, what are there particular role models you have for that? Yeah. 
Yeah. So I think like it was something I was really heavily conscious of going into this. I was like, this is an identity where many people do not have the luxury to be visible. And oftentimes visibility comes with like a tax, you know, like it could be a safety tax or a um, like talking to people who you were raised with, they might not speak to you anymore. So um, I knew going into this that I, I wanted to be very careful with everything I was doing, um, make sure like a thousand percent that the thing that's prioritized the most is like, the participants who are featured in this, their comfortability um, and their safety. And that's why I ended up creating the concept that I did was to try and give like the people who are participating in this work the most like autonomy over their story um, and like the visuals behind it. But yeah, basically like, well, I have my thesis like inspo behind me on the wall. I did take a look at like the Middle Eastern like women photographers, like contemporary uh, Middle Eastern women photographers. Like I looked at, um, I always like pronounce things wrong. So I'm like nervous about this, but I looked at Shirin Nishat and um, uh, Leila Fad. <laughs> I'm going to say all of these things wrong, but yeah, like it's I okay. had multiple we get, we get, photographers. We, so we know how it is. So yeah. We know how it and is. And yeah. know that I love them and that I know how their names are spelt, but not how to say them out loud. So this I is totally super feel you. Because the way that I have like a list of 20. Um, but so I did have a list um, of people and um, I don't know if people, people could see the visuals of this, but I, I put basically a bunch of photos on my wall um, that 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 I felt were the kind of photography that I want to embody, not copy, but embody. Um, and their work, a lot of these works were post-Oriental, contemporary Middle Eastern women photographers who were specifically subverting a lot of tropes or visual um stereotypes that get put onto like Arab women so that was when I was going into this like academically and like as a film student that was something I was like very heavily aware of was like what visual things am I avoiding but like you said then I had to think about okay well what do I want to include what's important in this and that's when I came up with the idea of Hayati which was to photograph people within their safe spaces so the entire um, like concept behind Hayati is reliant on this idea of a double portrait or like a double portrait, sure. And I basically make one portrait where the person who I'm featuring in the project is explicitly within the photograph and another portrait with just their safe space and without them physically present in the space. And this is actually another thing with visibility that was really interesting going into this was I thought that there might be a majority or like half or like a good amount of people participating in this project who would not be able to be um, visually featured with their face in it. So I kind of went into this anticipating an element of like anonymous photography and was trying to think about like, what would that look like if I were to photograph somebody anonymously um, safely? Like, what would that entail? You know, like, could I shoot them while they're facing backwards, for example, or while they have an item of their choice obstructing what they don't want to be seen, these kinds of things. Um, and then as I made my way further and further into the project and I started getting people who were actually willing to participate, I actually like that ended up being something I didn't really need to deal with yet, although I'm expanding this project as I graduate. So maybe this will be something that I do in the future. But 
Um, ultimately, all of my participants were willing to be seen visually with their face in the thesis. But actually, what was surprising is there was one participant who chose to not have um, her name associated with her photo. And so I assumed before we photographed, because I had I met with everybody before we photographed, before we interviewed, like I would meet with them and just talk to them like ahead of time. And so in, in my meeting with her, I was prepping that she would be in an anonymous shoot and that we would be doing it without her face because she could not have her name associated with being queer and Arab. And when I showed up to her house, she actually was like, you know, I thought about this a lot and I'm okay with you photographing me um, and with my face being in it. All I ask is that my name is not associated with the photo. And I was like, awesome, like, cool, like super here for that. And um, yeah, I think that's like, ultimately like how things ended up going was the reason I picked safe spaces was for a lot of reasons but like I felt like it was a really really good way to have the person themselves have control over what I was photographing um in some ways like it takes a lot to like let somebody come in with a camera um into that space and so I was like so thankful to like all of the participants um for like giving me that but I was hoping that with that that they also felt some sort of sense of control and power that that was their own space and they do have the ability to be like hey no like don't photograph this thing or like let's uh not be in this room or like that kind of thing so it was something that I was really heavily aware of when I was coming up with how I would shoot um and that's why I ended up choosing what I did was one for like conceptual reasons I was hoping that this double portraiture would force audiences because like I said I wanted this to not just reach queer Arabs but just as many people as could see it um, I wanted people to not only come face to face with people of our identity, but to see the spaces that we're in, you know, to like emphasize that thing that you guys say, we exist. We exist in like real spaces. We have homes, we have families, we have trinkets. My favorite thing about doing this project was finding out how many people are trinkets girlies. Like that's my favorite thing ever. Like I was like, everyone I went to had so many trinkets. See, we love to see it. But yeah, so it was, that was kind of what I, reoriented haha, <laughs> reoriented into was just sort of um giving all of the people who agreed to be in this work the power to say what isn't not okay to be photographed and i tried to just place them at the forefront of those decisions and um even like as we were shooting if i like sensed any sort of like uncomfortability i would just be like is this okay like should we pause and like would just make those calls in the moment so Yes, very long-winded answer, <laughs> but um, yeah, that was sort of how I, how I went about it was I just, I made sure that they were in control of what was being uh, seen. Uh, I was saying, like, I was listening to all that and I was like, wow, this sounds like, this is, so like, if I were to do any other photo project or you were able to do, you wouldn't even have to, you know, consider, the, this, this is like, even photographing this sort of thing just adds all these additional safeties and barriers that would be like, oh, but if I want to do like a cool, fun, you know, easy breezy white photo shoot or, you know, civil rights photo shoot, um, you wouldn't have all these questions and barriers about photography. And like, you would still have some for safety, obviously, but not like, uh, the, just the barriers of doing the work, this sort of work is just sometimes maddening. Yeah, it was really, it was really nerve wracking. And it's also really nerve wracking because like it's not like something light like it truly can be like a life or death matter and like i was 
very aware of that. You know, like when I was doing this, I was like, this is not something to to take lightly. Like it is a matter of like true safety, you know? And so it, it was really nerve wracking as I, I did it. But I also realized like, so long as I'm prioritizing the people who I'm featuring and they're comfortable and I'm doing my best as a photographer to like subvert all of these like prior not good things in photography, like that's all we can do. Like all we can do is try. And like someone like someone has to just be okay with like trying and 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 putting the work out there. And if you need to learn along the way, like that's part of it, you know. So that was like one of those things that I accepted. I was like, I refuse to risk the safety of anyone, but I am willing to like myself, like maybe like have to like learn how to do things as I go, you know. Yeah, and we we get that with the podcast. Like when we we started it five years ago, and I remember always being. I was so paranoid about like anyone, you know, putting themselves at risk by being a guest or whatever. And it took me a while to just really accept the fact, like if, if someone I'm I'm like, okay, if someone knows that there might be a risk and they're not comfortable with it, like they'll tell us. And like, we just need to trust that they're going to, you know, find their boundary, like tell us their boundaries. Um, but it, it was it it does weigh on you as the person like yeah. putting out putting out the the work yeah and oh, like yeah. you were saying earlier like you were worried about just being like who's this rando taking like yeah. asking for photos but you know if you show up enough times as that rando who's taking photos eventually you become just that photo person yeah eventually you're just like oh you're the one that shoots this this kind yeah. of stuff huh <laughs> yeah. that was the goal i was like i hope cuz i knew I knew my intentions were pure. I knew that I was of the identity and that like I I to be aware of the exploita- exploitation we are facing means to be aware of like my self exploitation, you know. So that was something that like going into it I was like I have to recognize that um I'm asking people of like my same identity. So they they probably want a similar thing as I do or like as I was feeling so I just have to make sure that I do it correctly and safely and like with their um like all the consent and all of the right things in place but yeah it was like it was this thing where I was like yeah I know that I'm gonna like send a message and even the way that I DM'd you guys I, I was just like hey here's my thing like <laughs> I was so chill. excited like, to read that no I was so glad you messaged us no, thank like, you. but yeah it was it was random ones to play or not that's just yeah you gotta start out as a rando. Literally, literally yeah. every podcast here has started with either us randomly messaging somebody, like either through Instagram or formerly Twitter or just you know email. Um, yeah, we're not. We're, let's not talk about Twitter though. Um, but yeah, it's like you know somebody like hits me up in Discord. And I'm like, hey. Um, I'm doing this thing. It would be too random. I'm like, dude, everyone says that. No, yeah. <laughs> it's like we always feel like the random person when yeah. we reach out to someone. Yeah, no, yeah. just like, just like it's, just, it. it's always worth it. Just, yeah. just you know, if you're if you're making something, just hit the hit people with your subject and be like, hey, can I? Yeah. And the worst they can do is say no or just never reply, and it's Truly, not personal. Yeah truly yeah and it's so funny because we get told that all the time right and i knew that even going into this project like those realities were true but that's something that i think helped a lot in this process i was like 
I was nervous. Yeah. Like for certain people, if I reached out to them, I was like, would it be offensive if I reached out to them? Like, will they get mad at me? Um, but every time I was like, literally the worst that could happen is a no. Or like you said, like just a non-response and like almost like across the board, those didn't happen either. Like people would respond or if they did say no, it was very kind. Like, and it, it always made sense. Like I didn't feel like actually bad about reaching out once I started doing it I was like yeah this is worth it and it actually is what sparked a lot of people being in the project or like connections that um like fueled me to keep going was just like people who ended up responding or who did end up liking the message or whatever you know yeah Yeah. do you want to like for people who can't go to the exhibition do you want to just like talk us through you know once you enter the space like what what are you going to see and yeah, I'd love to talk about it. Yeah, so this is this is what I consider to be the first iteration of Hayati. I hope to continue this project just ongoingly, like <laughs> um, as long as I can. Um, but in this iteration, I wanted it to take form in an exhibit. And as I mentioned, the format that I picked was a double portraiture. And the reason that I did that was I knew that I wanted to place these two pictures, one of the person, one of their safe space, back to back. Um, And I very specifically wanted that so that in my exhibit, it would be a very um, like interactive piece, something where people are walking, not just like forward, but like back and forth and around. Um, And so the exhibit right now begins with a Polaroid diary, actually, it begins with like a bit of informal photography, I along my travels. So one in total, this is my favorite number to tell people, I took 11,722 digital photos (laughs) throughout all six of my travels. Yeah, like at the end of the day, that was how many photos I was working with. And in this first iteration of the exhibit, only 12 digital photos were picked to be printed for this um, final round. So there was a lot of photos and, and moments that weren't featured in this round of the exhibit, but hopefully I can share with the world. Um, but part of the type of shooting that I did in addition to digital was I was shooting on my film camera as like a personal diary camera. And I also brought along with me one of my friend's Polaroid cameras because he had he had one and he was like, you should take this. And I was like, real. So I bought Polaroid and I brought it with me. And after all of the formal photography that I did with every person, I would ask them if they'd be like chill with me taking a Polaroid of them. And that was normally like when we just like had a bit more. Um, fun and like people are in their pajamas or just like relaxing at that point so that's what I actually begun the exhibit with was um, a literal notebook like I just got a notebook obviously for those listening you can't see that I'm holding one up but I got literally like this same notebook Um, and I took all of the Polaroids that I took in the travels and I just taped them to like a page in the notebook and just like flipped through and did it chronologically so that people could get a like sort of feel of what it was like for me I think as a photographer to go through this like the people that I saw and the times that I had and be able to physically go through it so that's how the exhibit starts out you walk in and then you're met with the Hayati um, Polaroid diary is what I entitled it and you can flip through that as as much as you'd like or as little as you'd like Um, and then you turn and basically you're met with six if you want to call them frames but just like suspended um, two photos back to back so frames I guess um and there's six participants who agreed to be in this project and the way that i oriented it was so that all of their faces would be 
facing one way and all of their safe spaces would be facing another way. Um, and in the exhibit space currently, four of them are in a straight line and then two of them are to the right. That was more so just like because of like how the exhibit space was. It wasn't, it was intentional, but not so intentional like the four and two thing. Like the, the faces and the spaces were intentional, but like the this and this wasn't so much so, but essentially what happens is um, as you walk through the space, you can go up to each picture and I don't have them in frames. So it's the print itself. Um, and the way that I placed them back to back was, oh my God, guys, <laughs> so gnarly. I used book board and book glue and like, <laughs> like I had never book bound before, but I was like book binding these precious prints together luckily it turned out great like we were great but um that's essentially like how how they're placed together back to back so you see that they're um separate but you know that they're two different photos uh but yeah so you'll walk in and you'll be met with each person that I featured and who was willing to be in the project and I had their face on one end and I had like their little like descriptions and um, I, I decided to honor the book board that I was using, um, and I wrote all of their names in English and in Arabic um, on the front where their faces were, and for my unnamed participant, I just kept it unnamed. And then I think I wrote, like, Rier Misima, like, like, without a name, like, on her uh, for the Arabic part. And then on the other side of it, I just wrote what city we were in, because basically, for this iteration, I had six participants. I had two that were in New York, one that was in Nebraska, one that was in California, and then two that were in Georgia. So I just uh, said the description of the city that their safe space was in. Um, and that's the exhibit. So you can walk for as slow or as fast as you would like, but you basically end up doing this sort of swaying movement with your body, um, but also like a, a very literal back and forth in front and behind the two photos. And the reason that I made it that way was to have people not only interact with our faces and our spaces, but also to maybe create what I felt was like my queer Arab experience, which is a lot of time literally feels like back and forth between like your culture and your queerness. Like, I know that that might be like stereotypical and I don't want to fall into like, um, like too, too. It's so like, true though. But you know what I mean? Like it's, it's really real. Sometimes it's like, yeah, okay. I can really be so queer in this space, but then you're like, oh, air not chill about my Arabness and and or the other way around, you know, like that's sort of how I felt at Emory where people were never like outwardly homophobic. They were never mean to me or anything. But when I was in Arab spaces, I felt a little bit like left out in some way or like I felt outside of the circle in some way. And ultimately, I feel like it had large part to do with the fact that I was queer, you know? So that was another thing that I was hoping was not only that people would be walking around these spaces and feeling like they were in these people's safe spaces actively, because the way that the prints are, it's like right about at eye level. So when you're looking at somebody, they're like directly in front of you. That was what was really fun about the exhibit launch actually was how many people were like, a lot of people told me like, it feels like I'm looking at the real person. And then it feels like I'm looking at their real space. Like we're there. Like I could walk into the, into the room and they would be there. And I'm like, cool. Like that was the goal. Um, but yeah, so it was sort of like a, 
multifaceted like physical experience that I was hoping people would go through, which was the active walking and reckoning with these people in their spaces, but also just like a slightly disorienting, but in a nice way, like back and forth that I feel like a lot of queer Arabs have to do, which would be that you never get to see the person in their safe space at once. So if you want to interact with one person in their space, in their face, to see both of them, you have to go back and forth. You'll never be able to see both at the same time. I love that movement. So. <laughs> like element too thank you that's really, cool. that's really i hate to ask this but do you have an instagram version or like a youtube walk youtube video walking through it yes so currently i have a video of me walking through my exhibit on my instagram which is at noral daya but i will also add that i am going to be like formally photographing the exhibit to be on my website um and formally videographing it as well so there will be more to come in like a matter of weeks I just need to be able to go in and do that <laughs> myself but there is actively like currently online on Instagram I just like did an informal like iPhone video of exactly what it was like when I walked through the exhibit like the kind of order that I go in so um there was a yeah, post I'll send it made. to you Ellie yeah, there was a post I made like a couple days ago about it. And there's and just like a very like slow video POV of what it's like to walk through the space. Yeah. And of course, this link will be on the website included with the episode. So anyone Slay! who's listening, please, please, please go get the link. Check it out. Or, you know, Check it out. or, you know, replay <laughs> her like saying her Instagram like 15 times so you can figure it out. <laughs> Love. But yeah, no, I'd love to see you guys and <laughs> please do, please do I check know, it out. Yeah. <laughs> this might be a loaded question, um, but you're, you're about to graduate college. Do you have any, um, besides continuing to do this work? And you asked the forbidden uh, Nadia, question why to you go there? I cannot believe, no, I'm just kidding. It's so funny. I don't know. If someone like, like honestly, if somebody asked me that when I was a senior, I'd be like, "Fuck if I know." So like, if that's your answer, that's that's cool. <laughs> um, my answer is partly "fuck if I know," but also yes. I know a little bit. Um, okay. but yeah, basically, um, my answer is that I'm continuing this work. Like genuinely, um, I think when I started creating this project, I thought it would be impossible to do. I just went for it because I so badly wanted to create this work and I was like I don't care if it's super hard or I don't care if I only get one person in it like I'm doing this mm -hmm. um and then as I was doing this thesis which Emery did not give me a lot of money for I got my funding like largely externally and you know I was traveling while being a student and I was still able to create this project while um not dedicating my time fully to it yeah. But it was as I was doing everything that I, I've always wanted, like when I entered Emory, I've always wanted to pursue art post-graduation. But even though I was majoring in film and media, and even though I knew that I was doing all this work, I, for some reason in my head was like, well, I'm going to have to like go get a corporate job or like something like more traditional. And then I'll just do my art, like whatever as a sub thing. Um, but especially throughout all of my travels this year for this thesis and creating the first iteration of Hayati, I think it just cemented into my mind that like, this is the type of work I need to be doing. This is the type of work I want to be doing. And this is the type of work I will pursue. So I do very much plan after graduation to just continue my work as a working artist. Um, and that includes the continuation of Hayati, but also just the continuation of my work in general. So continuing photography, videography, I've worked on sets um, 
and and off of sets like I've worked in like like social media realms and that kind of stuff but I hope to really just enter as like my own artist into this world now that I've created my first independent work and just continue that you know so photography books um written work uh blogging my website I hope to just continue doing that stuff and and just like really build on it as I grow that was yeah, a great answer to the shitty question. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel, oh, do you feel attached to Atlanta as um, a city and art scene? Or are you kind of uh, I like, open I, or have somewhere else in mind? Yeah, I like absolutely adore Atlanta. Um, and I, I really do love it. But I hope to make my way towards New York, actually. Um, and just sort of like expand expand the work to meet as many queer Arabs as I can while there. Um, but like, and as I said, like with the continuation of this project, like I do really, this is such an artist answer. I do really want to just kind of go globally and like, just sort of like live in a bunch of places. Um, I feel really lucky that like, um, that, you know, I had immigrant parents, but we were in California. So I was like mega slay. Like I, I, I feel very privileged to have like grew up where I did in a place where a lot of people like hope to end up in you know like a lot of people's like end goal is LA or California and like I just happen to be lucky enough to be born there um but because of that I've always just like had this like deep urge to just see more and to meet as many people as I can and especially now that I have Hayati I would love to do Hayati in like every country or like every continent you know like just like have uh an archive of people of this identity from literally around the world but yeah so I'm not tied to Atlanta in the sense that like I don't see myself living here for the rest of my life but I adore this city and I adore the art scene here and like the music scene oh my goodness I've done concert photography since high school and um I honestly felt a drastic difference between Los Angeles and Atlanta for the better in terms of Atlanta's music scene like I just felt like people here were way more engaged as audiences like I always felt like a little bit more invigorated in the Atlanta art scene um I've never been to Atlanta I need I need to to it's really fun (laughs) it's it's a very good but like I'm I'm gonna be uh doing some stuff at Auburn University like on and off for like some weeks in the next month that's a terrible description of the schedule but that's really what it is um so I'm like hoping to just like pop over and check out it in a little bit oh my god do it and i'll take you around to all my favorite spots it'll be so okay, fun cool. oh my god no like literally hit me up i'm so serious i'll take you around i just took my my brother and my friend came to see my exhibit launch which was so so sweet and i took them around atlanta and like that was the thing i emphasized was like art tour like here are the murals <laughs> i've heard it has like That's a really awesome great art art scene of like lots of different types of art yeah and there's just a deep history of like deep history american history but uh, just like history in general and art art scene here so that's what's like really cool about atlanta is kind of everywhere you go it's very palpable that that energy and especially in art spaces i think and especially when like uh when you have the chance to meet like older artists who have been in the scene for a while it's really cool to hear about the history of like the atlanta art scene because it's very deeply tied to a lot of just american history in general you know so i feel really lucky to have been able to go to school here because i i probably otherwise would have never like been to atlanta you know so it's a really really cool city yeah (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of that like personal history, especially of art spaces, gets lost because very few people sit down and document it. Yeah. So getting to hear it is, 
you know, we're, we're basically like, you know, internet people going back to oral tradition now. Yep. And I, and I love it, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's real. And it's such a privilege. Uh, that's another thing that I, I, I felt throughout this um, thesis, like two of my subjects were older and um, I just the whole time I, I was like, this is, this is history. Like when I was hearing their queer Arab experience, it's, it's not just like a queer Arab history. It's like history period. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's really important and cool to know that like history includes all of us. Um, and yeah, so like our personal histories are history and they're important and needed and, and to document them is, is absolutely necessary. Um, if the person agrees with it, obviously. But yeah, that's what mm-hmm. I that's what I actually really loved about this thesis was like, no matter what age or no matter where they were from, like their personal stories are history and do matter. Um, and that's what I like felt so privileged. That, that was my main point. I was like, where did I start with this? I knew I came in saying something, um, but that was where I came in was, um, I felt very privileged to be hearing it because it's a privilege to hear those stories because so many people pass away without anybody asking for them or so many yeah. people have documented their lives and no one gets to see them because they get put in some box in some basement somewhere. So it's a privilege like on my end to be able to hear these stories and to be able to share it, to have a platform to share it, you know? It's it's privilege. Like <laughs> so But yeah, yeah I think like, we feel similarly about this this podcast. But yeah. even then it's like just hearing it from the person self. Like the history you hear in the books is like the broad strokes of it. Even the specialist stuff where people are doing like recorded oral histories, you know, have that framing of, oh, we're doing it in a thing at a time and a place. But mm-hmm. you know, when you just sit down and talk with somebody about yeah. their history and area, it's like yeah, I know the riots are here, but you don't know the fact that, you know, people who died, like, for example, in um, this one neighborhood in Houston where there was, like, um, a lot of queer resistance during the AIDS period, it's like, I know that they, that happened, but I also know that people's ashes were poured on the specific lot there because of the bar that was there. Wow. Oh, the yeah. Montrose? Yeah, I know. I keep throwing Montrose into the episodes, but, you know. But I'm just no, saying, like, you don't, that's yeah, a good you, example. Yeah. That's a great example. And it's real. Like, no one would know that, right? Like, if you had not heard it. So it's like, and now all of you know that too, that this one yeah. place that's like now a shake shack of all things was like this yeah. once really, like, was once the beating heart of Matros and the resistance to, to AIDS yeah. and shit. And but, that's so important. So, you know, what I'm, like, so what I'm saying is go out, go to your art spaces, talk to your artists. <laughs> yes. Go talk to people, yeah. And and again, the worst that could happen is a no. But most of the time, and that's what that's what caught me off off guard in, in a, the most like pleasant of ways throughout this is, you know, I came in and I told you guys this already, like I came in being like, oh, people are going to think who is this weirdo. But when I came in and I asked certain questions, people were so elated and so excited to share, you know, they're like, here's this and here's this and here's this. And I, 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 I felt far more of a sense of like a happy urgency to share than I did like this hesitancy or nervousness, you know, like people were very like, here's a, here's this, here's us, you know, like here's mm-hmm. our stories. And it's really exciting. Sometimes all people need is to be asked. <laughs> Sometimes people just aren't being asked, you know? So never be afraid. I don't know if, who's listening to this, but never be afraid. Like, go and, ask, girl. <laughs> I mean, and it's okay to be nervous. Like, before we hit the record button, Alia was like, I'm always so fucking nervous. Yeah, no, 
I was talking about how I was nervous. No, it's real. I yeah, still but, get but, nervous every episode. Every yeah, two hundred episodes in. Wow. I know. Yeah. I'm always just like, okay, oh, I just I want I want to ask the right stuff. I I don't want to ask too much. Like, you know, anything that like is off base. I don't I don't know. I get in my head every single time, like about that. So I so I totally get it. Which I think is appropriate, honestly. Like. You should. No, you should know your head a little bit about it. I think it's important to like think hard about which questions to ask. What you ask, like, yeah. But like to the point of being this nervous, I'm yeah. kind of like, okay, I should be over that. <laughs> no, but I mean, I've I've been the person who's like hesitant to like answer questions because I have yeah. skepticism about how it's being asked, and I think it's like, yeah, important to think about that. Yeah, um, for sure, it's important to ask to like think through what what to ask but like but then i just asked about college graduation so like <laughs> you know i <laughs> love it <laughs> you had one of us had to we had to oh my god i was like in my head i was like oh you should prep oh, in case ask. they they ask that yeah and then i just was like no nah, whatever whatever just so wing funny. it i love it i love it you just winged it I wing it every once in a while. Like that's another thing is I'm such a like anal and like plan everything person. But sometimes, like you're saying, like sometimes you know that you've done all the prep that you can, and you do just kind of have to let it go. Like that's how I felt with Hayati. Even it was like every question, every everything. Like I had it all in a gajillion notebooks and all the things, and I was so nervous about when I met the person to say all the right words and like. When I first meet them, that's the most important thing. Like I had all of this stuff, but eventually like, I was like, yo, I have to get on the plane and I have to show up to the front door and I have to say hi. Like, I cannot just think about this, think about this, think about this and then not do it. Like you just, you have to plan, you know, I did my research. I, to the best of my ability, planned everything. I wrote the questions to like, as good as I could have. And then eventually I was just like, all right, and plane we go, you know, like, and here I am. Like it's <laughs> And I might yeah. not have said it perfectly, or I might not have remembered it all, or I might have whatever, 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 but it, it worked out and it went through and I, I was there. And that was Yeah, like, and that's what true human connection is, is like not being perfect about it. Yeah. Like, you can't yeah. be perfect about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was the most freeing thing about this was like realizing like, yo, this is my first time doing something like this. And I cannot put this expectation of perfection on myself for something that's super hard to do um and if like I'm 21 like what do I know you know like I know admittedly there's so much for me to learn um but I can't change my age I am 21 I have to live as I am so like you know right. I was like right. here I am <laughs> yeah the only way to be 22 is to be is to be so be messy make those mistakes fuck make up mistakes, a little man yeah curse on the podcast even though you knew that you could yeah but still say ask. fuck at like, least five times say fuck five times. Say fuck. i'm sorry you have to say fuck three more times before we close out this fuck episode. oh man oh <laughs> nadia you're like you are hardcore about this. I, yes, I did hear it once. Does my fuck in response to that count as a yes. fuck? Yes. Okay, because yeah. oh, that, that was like in context. Yeah. That was okay, in that, context. Yeah. That wasn't bad. Yeah, that wasn't bad at all. Uh, well, maybe, okay, maybe as we are, okay, can you remind people like 
how they can find you online and maybe you can like slip in the word as you're like describing you'll be like you can find me on fucking instagram motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> you know what i love about this is that one is in this and one of her seven necessary sins is cursing and i'm like i i love this we got that one down yeah yeah I okay think i think i think yeah you just nailed it yeah. i think i just nailed it yeah do you um, want to yeah. where to find you yeah, do you no. want to just, like, remind them where to yeah. find you? <laughs> I would absolutely love to. So my Instagram is Noraldaya, my name. I have a photography Instagram, Capture the Nor, which I thought was very funny. Thank you very much. <laughs> and um, my website will also be on um, both of those things. Um, so it'll be it'll be linked, but it should be nor.aldaya.com. Um, and that might change. So for now, stick to the things I told you, which is Noraldaya and Capture the Nor. I'm also on like every other social media as Noraldaya, except for TikTok, which I will also plug on here because this is queer Arabs listening. And that's largely what I post about on TikTok. Um, but my TikTok is never.nor. Um, okay, and that I'm was a just TikTok person. I'm gonna follow you. No, oh, yeah, let's do it. I'm I need a TikTok to make TikTok. person. I like <laughs> yeah, this so nice new to that. Yeah, I like uh, just started making them like a year ago. So I'm like very yeah, new to me it. Me too. I'm, like, I'm we're still here. relatively new to it. But you said but yeah. never dot you said never dot nor. nor. Mm-hmm. Okay. I I, never I, I was just like trying to do a I spin like that. on like nevermore. But I was like, how do uh, I do that? And I was like, oh. That's cool. Okay, I like it. I, yeah. That's that catchy. Yeah. yeah. I don't I don't know what it is with me and making puns with my name in like there's a lot I of opportunities. Yeah. 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 Having a, I feel like having a one syllable name is really cool for that. It works like for you that. Can so it many sucked puns. when we were young and people wanted to give you nicknames because it could not get shorter. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That that was the one time it sucked to have a one syllable name. But otherwise yeah. it's great for tags. <laughs> yeah. I guess a nickname would have to be like just adding to it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Let me get longer, me yeah. Norzies. What? <laughs> okay, that's actually cute. That's cute. cute. But I like it. It's but, cute. Yeah, I but know it it's not save like... anybody each time. Saves um, no time at all. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, well, so those are all the platforms I am on. And awesome. I will hopefully continue to be active online and, you know, keep your eyes out. And one day, hopefully soon, I'll come out with my first photography book. I don't want to hold myself to a date because, like, I'm just yeah. now graduating college. But just exactly. know that don't it's do it to yourself. <laughs> just keep an eye out. Keep an um, eye out. Yes. But yeah, a good place it's to check happen. was definitely my Instagrams are like the most active things. My photo Instagram and my main Instagram, and then basically any other thing that I would have would be posted about on those platforms first. So yeah. perfect. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Well, you all can find us also on Instagram at the Queer Arabs and Twitter at and uh, Facebook at the Queer Arabs and email us at the Queer Arabs at gmail.com. Thank you so much for coming on. This was a blast. Thank you so much for having me. It's truly an honor and a privilege. And you guys were one of the main sources of inspiration to me as I did this work. So thank you. I know I said that before it's we recorded. I, I held myself to saying <laughs> it when we recorded. No, you guys thank you. really are the best. So thank you. Mm-hmm.